wouldn't it be wonderful to open a yoga center here in, in Ramallah, um, a place where people can breathe, where families can come and just play and breathe. Welcome to Conversations on Compassion. I'm Leslie Langbert. Today, my guest is Maha El-Sheikh. Maha is a wonderful spirit. I have very recently uh, had the pleasure to get to know. I'm talking with Maha today because she has a really inspiring story and she demonstrates an incredible amount of courage and also in that courage an example of resistance demonstrated through love and the creation of community. There's often not a lot of stories I think that that are told about the experience of Palestinians and this conversation is to lift up and honor as well the work that our teacher also did side by side in the West Bank and sharing the yoga tradition and sharing yoga teachings. I hope that you enjoy. Welcome, Maha. It's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you, Leslie. I'm really, really happy to be here. Hey, yeah, so I've, I've been so looking forward to this conversation for such a long time um, and so excited that for, for our listeners um, that our paths have been crossing in different ways, but it was just really a few weeks ago that I kind of connected the dots. And so we have a couple of just extremely inspiring, wonderful women um, in common. So first, our, our dear mutual friend, Brooke Dodson-Lavelle. Yes. Uh, for listeners, um, if you go back into our archive, uh, we've got a conversation on compassion with her and her inspiring organization, Courage of Care. And uh, our other deeply, deeply inspiring uh, teacher who just earlier this year left the body, um, Shraddha Sagar, uh, Ruth Hartung, who is the director of Seven Centers Yoga Arts in Sedona. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I love that we have had um, these connections with both Shraddha and Brooke now for some time and that they're light and wisdom, you know, finally like brought us together. So exactly, exactly. And we were even in the same space together and didn't know until we con you connected the dots um, a few weeks later. So <laughs> it's really wonderful. I'm really touched by that. 
Yeah, it just, you know, everything happens in right time, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So, Maha, let's, uh, let's begin with just um, learning more about, about you and just um, tell, us, tell us a bit about, about yourself and, and your background was kind of raised with um a curiosity always about um about my heritage and culture um of the middle east um was always kind of raised to be very proud of my arab uh, background and at the same time as a child trying my best to kind of find my way in in fitting in in american culture which um maybe those who are also born to immigrant parents might be able to relate with um, and I always had this really deep sense of um, seeking justice, um, I think, from my father, who um, I can remember so clearly, um, always kind of talking about fundamental human rights. And I would roll my eyes at the time, but he, but knowing very well, being very touched by that. And so, um, and so, yeah, from a very young age, I was quite engaged in uh, the pursuit for social justice on various um, various topics, most related to the Middle East um, and uh, particularly like the U.S. involvement um, in the Middle East through the various wars, et cetera, and, um, and especially around Palestine um, and the occupation of Palestine and the U.S.'s role in supporting the occupation of Palestine. Um, so I, in, in um, early around, yeah, 2006 or so, um, after working for a few years in Washington, D.C. in international development, which was kind of the path I took um, to, to try to address social justice issues internationally, um, I was uh, relocated to Palestine, which was a dream come true for me. That's kind of how I ended up there. Um, and uh, what was meant to be a one-year um, <laughs> job contract um, turned out to be about 15 years in total. So um, it was a major, major, had a huge influence on my life. Um, and so when I think about... Um, yeah, when I think about me or home, uh, Palestine comes up very, very strongly. You know, what kind of uh, captured your heart in a way that uh, that you felt such a such a desire to want to to stay and to really, you know, offer your support and offer your gifts there. Yeah, Palestine captured my heart. Um, that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, whenever people ask me, you know, where are you from? Um, I would always kind of say my blood is Egyptian and Jordanian, but my heart is Palestinian. And, um, and I very much feel that. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's, um, it's a place of so many contradictions in the sense that um, it's a beautiful, beautiful land uh, geographically speaking, um, incredible nature, you know, the three of the most holiest religions, um, there, um, very special place. Um, and, you know, um, under, um, settler colonial rule. And I grew up 
knowing about what was happening in Palestine. So I did not go naively. However, seeing it with my own eyes was something that really made me understand that I, there was so much that I didn't understand and didn't know also. And even after 15 years of living there and working there, every day I learned something new about what life living, what living under occupation actually means. Um, Cause it's quite shocking. Your life is completely controlled by an external power. Um, and you know, you wake up in the morning and you don't know um, if you're going to be able to make it to school or work, how you're going to make it to school or work, um, whether you're going to make it home or not, you know, whether you're going to have water when you get home, whether there's, there's going to be certain food products or not. So everything we kind of take for granted in the West as just common uh, life um, is, is not taken for granted there. With all that said, the people, uh, the Palestinians are the warmest, most kind and loving, um, most hopeful people I've ever known. And I was continuously learning um, and humbled by their ability to to live fully, to smile, to laugh, to um, to be generous, to be kind, to be compassionate, even when the it, it really felt like a lot of times the world was um, completely against them. So a lot of people ask me how I managed to live there for so long, knowing that the, the, the situation there is very, very harsh. And I always say it, it was, it's, it's because of the people. They showed me, they taught me life. Um, every day they taught me life and I'm forever, forever indebted and grateful for that experience um, and for the way that they um, they allowed me into their lives. And um, and I just also have to say in terms of my privilege, um, you know, I, I went in um, with an American passport. Um, it wasn't easy um, because I am Arab and so I was um, treated as an Arab first and not as an American first. Um, so I was often humiliated, strip searched, um, had guns pointed at me when I would try to enter the country, etc. However, once I was in, I, because of my passport, I did have free access to all of historic Palestine, um, which many of my friends and colleagues who were born and raised there did not have the same access. And I was able to even get in, whereas many Palestinian refugees, Palestinians in the diaspora are not even allowed to go back to visit their own homeland. So um, so I really say this with full acknowledgement of my my great privilege to have been able to go um, at all um, and to be um, uh, to be welcomed and cared for like I was. And I'm I'm so struck, too, by the experiences that you're sharing that you had this this sort of dichotomy between like coming in and and you know being on the on the receiving end of inequity but also describing the sense of privilege of being able to gain access to mm-hmm. um to sacred sites there is just really um it's wild like i don't i i'm i, I can't 
I can only imagine what that was like to to live that. You know, hearing that, I'm like, whoa, that has to just feel like you're, uh, you know, spiritually, emotionally, kind of feeling like you're kind of ping ponged between, you know, okay, so why this treatment in this way, and then this other end of treatment in a, in another way. Absolutely, and that, and then also being there as an American and seeing like what my government, my tax dollars were doing to to fuel that situation um, was like an, another level of it. You know, it was very odd at times. Um, odd is not really quite the right word, but you know, working in international development, I was working as a um, with US aid, uh, US aid funded programs that were, you know, doing good work. Um, and at the same time, you know, it was also US money that was, um, that was caught, that was paying for the weapons that were being used to harm people. So it was, it's US tax dollar money that is being used for weapons that kill Palestinian children. And then it's US government money that's going in to deliver the medical equipment to help those same children. So for me, that was kind of the most, uh, the most dis- difficult aspects to, to kind of deal with and manage was, was seeing that um, kind of hypocrisy in action, I guess. And, um, and, and really woke me up to, to, to the harsh realities of, um, of, of neocolonialism today. Yes, that's so, so deeply jarring, and I think um, so so many uh, persons that are drawn to work in social justice and social services, even here in the U.S., you know, I, I know for myself, like having that, making the connect eventually, and that, that realization of the funding for the organizations that, that I was employed by, you know, for the most part, like they're kind of the architects of the systems yeah. that, you know, are creating the issues to begin with, and it is... Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to try to to reconcile and to find a way through. And so this kind of, you know, to, to sort of bring us into, you know, how how do we how do we make room for all of this, yeah. right? Without yeah. like turning away um, from the suffering and, and also how do we kind of stay in this in this place of feeling like, yes, there's still there's still something that I can do. And even though mm-hmm. these things are here, you know, something can be done. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, practices and things that that you found that maybe helped to sustain you in the work or things that that sustain you now as you're um, kind of, you know, transitioning into new new avenues of uh, calling us in to this yeah. the sense of active hope that Joanna Macy <laughs> talks about so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Um, I you know the the practices that really um, that really supported me l- looking back at my time there were. Um, were the the uh, yoga and um, y- y- the yoga practices that that you and I both have been um, in practicing and involved with? Um, when I got to Palestine, I was quite new to yoga and myself, and and for and and it, but it was that practice that um, I felt ground helped to ground me the most, and missed like kind of all of the um, external and inner 
um, turmoil that I was feeling and, and dealing with. And, and the other thing that really um, supported was, uh, was community. And, and Palestine has such a rich, um, like hospitable culture of community and a very rich um, kind of culture of volunteerism and mutual aid. And so when I was, you know, working in international development and, you know, seeing we're kind of hustling and trying to get as much money as possible to do these programs that last for a year or two, and then they go away and then what, and nothing seems to really be changing. And yet all around me, you could see that there were other um, kind of community driven um, activities taking place that were just part of the the Palestinian culture um, that didn't need lots of donor money or anything. Um, it was all based off of mutual aid and, um, and volunteerism. And just thinking, wow, that's, that seems to work. <laughs> and um, really questioning, you know, this, this other model of development. So I was always really struck by that, 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 that kind of um, kind of community-led work and mutual aid, and I think that was that that really for me resonated, um, and I think is what keeps people so hopeful um, and uh, and 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 life affirming um, is that that like sense of community, and I definitely um, uh, benefited from that as well. So. Um, and I was always so struck, you know, when I would get really, really upset and I got really upset a lot. Um, I would be, I was scared and I was upset and frustrated and I would um, just look to my colleagues and my friends and, and see, you know, how are they managing? And, and it was through the practice of joy together in community, you know, um, the family gatherings, the friend gatherings, the barbecues, the dancing, the drinking coffee, the um, smoking argila, even though that's um, probably not the healthiest choice, <laughs> but, um, but just all of the, 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 the way of relating and being with each other um, was what really, um, really struck me as well. I should kind of say also that, you know, one of my major driving forces of actually leaving the U.S. when I did was also because I felt like I didn't belong in the U.S. at that time. Um, and part of that could have been, you know, living this double life of like the Arab Americanness, um, always being hyphenated, always being asked, where am I from? You know, compounded with 9-11 and, uh, you know, all of that that took place. Um, and I felt back then it was very difficult for me to find that sense of community and to also have these conversations that we're having today. Um, and so going, so, so then you know, going and living in a place like Palestine and kind of seeing all of that in action really felt like a coming home um, for me. Um, even though, again, I wasn't, I'm not from there, but, but but kind of seeing how that, being able to take part in that type of community like that was, was very, very meaningful. And so all of that kind of came together um, um, a few years um, later to, to kind of, 
but for this this uh, this project, we well, I shouldn't say a project. It's a community center that um, myself and and a bunch of um, internationals and Palestinians um, kind of started, um, which is the Farasha Yoga Center. And I think for me, that was probably my biggest um, uh, my biggest kind of coping mechanism <laughs> was uh, was starting and running this uh, this yoga center. Maha, in the way that you're describing this sense of community and being a part of that in Palestine, it's really coming through so clearly this, this describing like this way of feeling held um, by others. And, you know, we're, we keep, that's one of the things, you know, we keep, I think, uh, sensing into and, and talking about and calling each other into, I think, in, in our culture is, you know, hey, let's, we don't have to just kind of compete with each other, or feel like we've got to, you know, figure, figure it out, you know, on our own, like, how do we uh, sense into call in our field of care, and actually really create that and, and nourish that. And it sounds like that was such a huge part not only of your experience but when you were speaking earlier about how struck you were by all of the hardship and really you know can we name it the trauma that um that Palestinian people are experiencing on the daily in so many ways but this deep sense of of joy and connectedness and compassion uh seems to that seems to be kind of the the piece that's really uh, at the core of that is that those strong community ties, that sense of connection. Absolutely. And um, I was just telling this story the other day um, of this, um, this, this time I used to, um, as I mentioned before, I had, I was able to access all parts of historic Palestine and Jerusalem. And I was working at the time in Jerusalem and my colleagues who were Palestinian, um, Palestinians living in the West Bank were given special permission to go to our office in Jerusalem. They had to do that with permission um, and were but they were not allowed to drive there themselves. Um, so that would mean um, they would have to take public transportation, which would mean maybe a three hour commute for um, for 14 kilometer distance, which should take about 15 minutes uh, driving. Um, so I would often drive drive them in and um, and we would have to go through checkpoints, um, military checkpoints. And I would be so angry um, going through those checkpoints, being stopped, having guns pointed at us by by what are really young children, 18-year-olds, um, many of them Americans, who would determine whether we could cross or not, how long it would, how long we would be kept for um, Etc. And um, and so the way I would deal with it would be just you know refusing to look at them, refusing to to acknowledge their existence. And um, until my a colleague that I would take in every day 
his approach was different. A Palestinian colleague who, again, was not able to access his own his own land would look the uh, soldier in the eye and say, good morning. I, I just remember the first time that happened, I thought, how could you, how could you do that? How can you even, and, you know, he just, he just said, um, they can take my land, they can take um, my uh, my my religious reason they can take all these things but they cannot take my humanity they cannot take my heart and so that was his way of really showing utmost uh you know r- resistance and um and that was a huge learning for me in terms of of and and, I've, and we've heard these stories many times in many different um, contexts of of um, of the oppressed, you know, defying the oppressor by by holding on to their humanity. Um, but it's, I tell you, it's so much easier said than done um, in in reality. Um, but that was just one example of of that compassion and that humanity that um, I saw on a daily basis. Yeah, I can I can imagine how how powerful in that moment, you know, to be to and to see that, you know, in action and to to hear from your colleague, you know, his stance in that way and his position of resistance in that way is is powerful. I'm so I'm taking that in as well. And we started to talk about uh Farasha and this really uh, beautiful uh, community yoga studio that you co-created. Um, so, um, Farasha means butterfly in Arabic, um, and our logo is um, was designed by a, a wonderful Brazilian uh, artist who donated this logo to for us. Um, it's of a, a lotus flower with a butterfly kind of at the top and um, kind of a symbol of, 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 of transformation. And Farasha opened in 2010. So it's about 12, it's turning 12 soon in November. And as I mentioned, it was a group of us, uh, Palestinian and international colleagues who were actually all working in international development at that time <laughs> and were incredibly frustrated because we felt that, um, again, we, we, we really questioned whether um, we didn't question motive or intention of wanting to do good, but we questioned whether what we were doing was, was sustainable and really, um, and really making a difference. And I had been hearing, you know, over and over um, from friends, from colleagues about um, just wanting space to breathe. And so, you know, Ramallah is a beautiful city and it's um, it's it's kind of enclosed by a wall that surrounds it. And at any moment, the gates of these walls can close and you're just kind of held captive, jailed in these cities in the West Bank. And it's um, it's become kind of the the urban center of the West Bank, so quite crowded, quite congested. Um, while it's in quotations under Palestinian authority rule, when you're living under occupation, you don't have any sovereignty or any control. And so I would just, you know, hear and felt very much myself just needing space to um, to breathe sometimes because, you know, it's just so, 
so um, the, 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 the heaviness of living under, under occupation is such that sometimes you just feel that you can't breathe. And, um, and then also hearing from a, a dear friend of mine also about, you know, wishing for space where um, families could, could go and kind of play together and be together. And so at that time, you know, yoga, really such a big uh, part of my life in terms of um, my own practice and my own well-being. And I just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to open a yoga center here in, in Ramallah, um, a place where people can breathe, where families can come and just play and breathe. And yeah, I kind of mentioned it to a friend who mentioned it to another friend. And and that person um, approached me one day and said, hey, I heard you had this idea for a community yoga center and said, well, and, and, and part of the idea also was that it would be completely commun uh, community led, it would be completely volunteer. So um, embodying the, the principles of seva, of selfless service. And, um, and so yeah, this person who who is the president of a, of a bridge development group, which is a real estate um, group in Palestine, said, I, I will give you space for free if this is something that you, you know, would like to do. And so it went from like a, um, <laughs> just an idea of like, wouldn't it be nice to all of a sudden, here's the space, go for it. And so we did. So, um, so I think it took us six months. Um, the space was right in the center of, um, of Ramallah, accessible to all by public transportation. That was really important to us. Um, our mission is to, to, uh, make access to yoga, meditation, well-being practices accessible to all. Um, and, and part of that is also in terms of uh, geography. And yeah, and then volunteers, uh, folks from everywhere just kind of came in and helped out, um, re, uh, remodeled the place, redid the floors, painted, um, um, built stuff. Um, and within six months, we had a center to open. And only to yoga teachers. So I, um, at that point, I was not a yoga teacher. I had never dreamed of being a yoga teacher. That was not in my plan at all. Um, but was kind of like, oh, well, we're opening this yoga center and we need some yoga teachers. So, um, so I hopped, um, I hopped on a plane to the U.S., did my 200 hour teacher training and, um, and went back, um, and there was another uh, friend who had done her teacher training recently in, um, I believe it was Bali. So the two of us, um, we opened the doors on November 7th, 2010. We had no idea what was going to happen. And yeah, before we knew it, we I think we were offering two classes a week or something. And before we knew it, we had packed classes. We had people traveling for from like cities two to three hours away to attend and um yeah the demand was much much greater than we could meet um so it it really um and i i really think it was just um uh in the stars <laughs> everything came into alignment to kind of um bring everybody together this was this was community coming together to create this the space for each other and um, completely by volunteers, completely by no donations, and is still going 12 years later. What is some of the 
some of the feedback or some of the experiences that you're hearing from folks that are that are finding uh, release and, and play and whatever benefits that you know that they are that they are finding after being at Barasha. Sure. Well, um, yoga was around and has been around in Palestine um, even before Farasha opened. Um, we did open as, you know, technically the first center um, that that offers yoga um, classes. However, um, there were a few a few students um, who then became teachers of yoga um, in Palestine before that happened. So um, I think there is you know, there's seekers everywhere, uh, spiritual seekers everywhere. And um, it's actually not surprising that it found its its way into, um, into Palestine. For many, um, many of our uh, students that come through, what they've said is that it really has helped them to um, kind of re-establish their connection to their own faith so there's a deep spirituality already existent in the there in the culture and um and i think the practice of yoga has been seen by many as a way to um to reconnect to that deep spirituality and faith so uh the reaction was was really that um you know that of course we have folks who come in for the physical uh part of the asana practice and that's something we we from the get-go were really kind of mindful of um not wanting it to just be a asana center but really wanting it to be a yoga center that 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 is about mind body breath connection um and um and and spiritual activism and that's what the um and that's why our commitment to it being a volunteer center is, is, is so strong. So, yeah, we've had, um, we've had instances in kind of the most um, traumatic events where uh, coming together at the center and participating in practices together has also been really useful. I'm, I'm remembering um, a time where uh, this horrible uh, bus accident that uh, unfortunately, it was a school bus accident that killed children. And I remember us thinking that day, like, oh, we are in mourning. Um, this is a horrific accident. And should we even open the center today? You know, should we be mourning? And um, then we decided, well, this is these are the times when when the practices are can are, are needed and can be most supportive. So we did open our doors and um, folks came in, folks who had never even done yoga before came that evening and we just all sat together and we were again packed and we sat in silence together. And um, it really struck me then that that at that moment, how how powerful the practice can be and how powerful creating a space for people to come and sit in silence can be. And like I said, many had not even they just they came knowing that they could do that there and not having actually 
taken any classes before anything. So, so that's just one example, um, or uh, lots of times kind of coming together um, in support of, um, of, for example, political prisoners, uh, administrative detainees who are arrested and, and held without charge, uh, coming together to also um, offer these practices um, for them. So um, I think it's, it's, it's really a space of, of, of healing together, of being together and of, um, and of, of, of trying to cultivate um, transformation together as well. Maha, how has the, how's the pandemic um, impacted Russia and, and kind of where, what sorts of shifts or um, even like new insights or even new kind of pathways of, of uh, creating space and supporting community have arisen in this time? Oh, that's a great question, <laughs> Leslie. Well, you know, I think like most of the world, um, we were uh, we were also impacted with not being able to come together in person. We also went through the lockdowns. Um, what's interesting is that, um, and, we, and we, we moved everything online quite rapidly and we were able to kind of uh, sustain, sustain that way. However, of course it, it did, it did, um, it was difficult. It was, it was difficult both for um, the students and also for the teachers. Yeah, move everything online. We actually, we actually started our very first Arabic language uh, yoga teacher training um, during the pandemic. Um, and and uh, I think we met, gosh, we started in January, I believe. So we, we met in person once. And I believe after that, we had to move online all of a sudden and, and conduct this teacher training online. And um, it was a 10-month program. And we did it. And uh, we graduated teachers, and they are now teaching at Farasha and other places. I have to say this also, you know, Palestinians are so innovative, um, and they're so creative when, um, when met with some sort of challenge. So as you can imagine, you know, when you're not really sure uh, how or when you're going to get from point A to B because of checkpoints or closures or etc, you do find creative ways to manage. And so um, the pandemic was a challenge. Um, it did affect things, and we did. We were able to find really quick solutions um, thanks to, to thanks to that creativity. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Love yeah. finds a way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always find a way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want to touch on to you a little bit about um, kind of the maybe the initial uh, pieces of. Um, scaling up and and training yeah. more yoga teachers and and that was partly with uh rama shoti vernon and with shraddha uh ruth yeah. hartung yeah. yeah do you want to talk about yes. that a little bit of course i do yes so grateful i think as i mentioned we were only two when we started and the demand was really high and so we realized we need more yoga teachers to, to do this. And so we actually were very, very blessed by a great number of, of international yoga teachers who volunteered their time and came out to Palestine 
and um, conducted teacher trainings. So um, of the first ones was um, Anahata Yoga, and they came out and um, and trained teachers. And and one of the things I'll also mention is our focus wasn't so much about training um, yoga teachers as in um, just yoga teachers, but also training um, school teachers, health professionals, um, uh, social workers, et cetera, who could use practices of yoga in their daily work, again, to make it as accessible as possible for folks. Um, so a lot of our early um, kind of scaling up uh, was was around that. And really thanks to Anahata Yoga, Kazam Ali, um, and a myriad of others to whom I'm all so grateful for. And um, as time went on, um, we were also realizing that it was wonderful to have that support of internationals coming to Palestine to teach. And that we felt to really root as a center, we wanted to be able to train uh, teachers ourselves in Arabic, um, because otherwise what we were doing is teachers would come and we would have everything translated, which also worked and we felt would be really even more amazing if it was in the, in Arabic. So Give Back Yoga actually, Rob Schwer um, and Give Back Yoga had come to visit us and do some trainings and connected us with Rama, uh, G.O.T. Vernon and Shraddha. And that was a big, um, a huge shift for us to be able to realize that that dream of being able to conduct our own um, teacher trainings. Um, so Rama and Shraddha came out to Palestine and um, and taught workshops in a variety of settings, including um, health clinics and um, teachers and psychosocial counselors. And um, after that experience, we spoke a little bit more and um, and Shraddha and had had said that she would be very happy to help us kind of develop um, our own teacher training program. So seven centers offered uh, scholarships to uh, five Palestinian yoga teachers or aspiring yoga teachers to come out to Sedona, uh, Arizona to uh, to take her 500 hour yoga teacher training and from there be able to develop our own teacher training. Um, and so that was an incredibly generous um, gift. And uh, and after um, the five of us completed that training, we worked closely with Shraddha to, to develop our training, which we really tried to contextualize for Palestinian context. Um, so this is a, um, it's a yoga wellness training, that's what we call it, that hypertension di and diabetes. And so, um, so we really tailored our teacher training to address those those major um, issues, and it also includes Ayurveda, which we also have kind of you know Ayurveda and 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 Palestinian traditional cooking and Palestinian um, wisdom around medicinal plants, etc., are actually quite similar. So that's been a really fun process of of um, kind of seeing the linkage between the two, and and making sure that. Um, indigenous traditions of, of Palestine are also incorporated. And um, yeah, and we came up with a teacher training program. We were certified by Yoga Alliance as well. And we launched our first teacher training um, in 2021, I believe. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's, yeah. this is just so inspiring the way that, um, that you went into this this land, this community, and felt so embraced um, by both the land and the people, and then had such incredible 
vision and imagination to uh, to create the space. And I love so much the way you described it as this this vision of a place where families could come uh, together to play and to breathe. <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, and so much gratitude as well to our our beloved um, teachers who are on the star plane now and hopefully continuing to still guide us, um, Shraddha and and Rama both. Yes, yeah, we're. I mean, it's um, we're so grateful, um, and um, and just hope that they're watching and, and seeing all of their um their wisdom and their and their teachings um continuously um growing with us um there's a there's a letter that rama um had written to yoga teachers it's in her book uh, sacred geometry it's just such a beautiful letter and that's one we had translated into arabic and 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 i constantly remind our teachers to go back to because i think it really encapsulates um what it is to be a forever student in the practice of yoga which is really what we are and to guide and share um with others um the the teachings and so um yeah really so grateful for all the wisdom that they've given to us and, and still feel them very much alive with us today. I think one of the things that I that's so powerful in our conversation, Maha, and also in the example that they really, you know, embodied for us too, was really you know, illustrating so clearly for us that that yoga is such a um, such a universal practice, and I know that you know I have I have seen in different um, settings that I have uh, taught yoga in, and sometimes in introducing um, students to different contemplative practices that there's. There's sometimes a misconception, you know, that that folks feel as though um, these practices are somehow uh, antithetical to um, whatever their own, you know, spiritual uh, practices or even, you know, religious um, traditions are. And so there's, you know, this a little bit of, uh, I guess, additional kind of um, support and kind of guidance around, you know, really sharing that there's there's not anything that you're being sort of asked to um, to believe there's nothing in your in your own faith that you need to uh, abandon at all. And I think you know in in this conversation, it's so powerful the way that you're describing how uh, so many of the participants at Farasha are like, this is bringing me even more deeply into uh, my own spirituality, into my own uh, practices, my own my own beliefs. and you know, looking at, at one of Rama's uh, great um, embodied examples, you know, in the world with her brilliant conflict resolution training that uh, she had she had employed in uh, talks in her own human rights work, you know, being invited to uh, be this this mediator um, and facilitator 
between uh, diplomats from the the then Soviet Union and the United States. You know when when uh, that was all uh, starting to um, to shift and change, and really taking the the Yoga Sutras and um, you know building that into a whole methodology, if not you know a, a curriculum that was so so very useful. Right, so useful and so effective, which really, to me, just it continues to demonstrate the universality of of these practices. That it's really kind of calling calling us in to see ourselves and to see each other in more full ways. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of in our evolution of of Farasha, where we're also kind of landing at right now, as well as trying to to learn and understand and embody what the yoga sutras what the the yogic philosophy says about about justice and social justice and and how to um to do so in a, in a transformative and generative way and so um that's what we're looking to dive into next which is really really exciting and i, I mean of course it's it's there all the time but to really take the time now to re- reflect and say okay well how how do these teachings, um, how can we work with these teachings in, in that way to um, to really stand for social justice and to create the world that we want to live in and to embody that sense of um, love and connection and community um, that we all know is what is needed and yet so easily, um, not so easy to always sustain. And so how can we use these practices to, as a reminder, to keep us in that place of, of loving community and, um, and, and working for um, justice and liberation? Maha, I'm so grateful for this conversation. This has been just so wonderful to explore with you all of this really inspiring work and and I'm so grateful for you sharing your experiences too in Palestine and so I well thank you so much Leslie for the opportunity to uh to talk about these uh these issues that are so dear to my heart and to also give a voice for for Farasha and for Palestine and and um and yeah I just um I just hope we can continue having these types of conversations about, um, you know, how to come together, coming together in, in, um, in community to find, help our, help ourselves, um, find home, um, with each other so that we can really create the world, um, that we want to be in. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Conversations on Compassion is produced by me, Leslie Langbert, and the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences Center for Compassion Studies. Our engineer is Gary Darnell with the University Center for Assessment, Teaching, and Technology. To learn more about the Center for Compassion Studies, visit us online at compassioncenter.arizona.com dot edu or follow us on instagram at ua underscore compassion center